I can hardly believe it, but we have found ourselves in episode 10 of this podcast. The testimony I'm going to share with you today is actually a place that I wanted to start, but I feel like the Lord wanted me to establish some groundwork before we could get to this place today. Because if you've ever felt like you are in a place of complete overwhelm where you just cry out, okay, God, this is too much. I can't handle this anymore. When the pressures and pain of life have become too much to handle. I want to share with you today two stories. One is my own personal testimony of how God brought me through a time of extreme suffering. And I also want to take a look at Job from the Bible, because if you've never read Job before, never heard his story, he definitely trumps, (laughs) I think, anyone suffering that I have ever, ever, ever heard about. And not that we're here to compare. That is not something we should do. We should never really look at someone else's pain and say, oh, theirs was way worse. That means mine's insignificant. Or even allow them to tell us our suffering is insignificant. It is significant. It hurts when we're going through dark times. And I want to remind everyone today, in case you haven't listened from episode one, that Bountiful Living is here to encourage, here to sharpen you, here to instruct you from the word on how to live until Christ returns. Because connecting you to Christ He is the source of life. He steadies and empowers you through every storm life sends your way. I want to take you back to 2018. And anyone who's read my little blurb of About Me on the Bountiful Living website has maybe seen a little glimpse into this. But I'm going to elaborate today. And just as a warning, because I always appreciate it when websites or podcasts give me a bit of a trigger trauma warning. I'm not going to go into too much depth, but I am going to describe a time when I endured unrelenting suffering, where like Job, I received report after devastating report in an unrelenting fashion, not even able to grieve one thing before I was already grieving another. In 2018, my husband and I had just received news of the death of a beloved grandparent. The grief was compounded with the news that our son's heartbeat had stopped in utero. And of course, we had just told the girls that they were going to be having a baby brother. We were walking through a lot of grief during that season. And it was hard to even stop and grieve because unfortunately, my body had so many complications. I needed to have not one but two back-to-back surgeries. It was just all this season of pain layered upon pain. And as that was not enough, the eve of my 40th birthday, milestone birthday that I was really looking forward to celebrating, my husband and I even had this trip planned for a really long time. It was our first time to get away in almost four years. We chose our hotel very specifically so that we could do a lot of hiking, maybe even some horseback riding. Yet I would sustain a debilitating car accident right on the heels of those two surgeries. 
with an airbag injuring my left leg and an airbag injuring my right wrist and tearing a ligament. And I would not know it, but it would take me about six months to recover fully from these injuries. I remember myself sitting on my closet floor crying on the phone to a friend. I couldn't even physically pack an overnight bag, right? How pathetic is that? I couldn't even stand up in my closet to pull clothes down. There was so much pain surging throughout my entire body. I was wondering if we just needed to cancel. I was crippled in a way that I was unable to walk. And looking back, I definitely probably needed crutches or a wheelchair for a solid two weeks. But I was either completely too cheap or stubborn, probably both, to acquire them. So instead, I just grabbed along with some furniture or leaned against the wall to kind of drag my lame leg behind me. It was ridiculous. We ended up taking our trip and it was a bit of grief that we were not able to do things as planned, but I held on as much as I could to gratitude that I was alive, that I was with my husband and I could look at nature from the window. So there was that. And you know, a cup of coffee always makes things a little better. So that's kind of what I did. We did that weekend was just lots of rest. These injuries, though, were far beyond just physical pain and needing a little R&R to get back on my feet. Many of you know or have maybe heard from different episodes that I have daughters with food allergies. And one child specifically has life-threatening allergies to dairy and eggs, so we're unable to pick up food from restaurants or even sometimes take food from other people because of cross-contamination. So the normal ways of relying on community were just not something we could take. We couldn't receive help because I was the one that had to physically prepare food for my daughter. And this suffering had completely taken me out. I was not only unable to care for myself, but I couldn't care for her or my family. Thankfully, the Lord sent two great women that we hired through the next several months while I recovered. But before the season was over, I did not expect to be afflicted with the flu. I don't even think I had had flu before. However, I really thought this would end me. After four months of constant, unrelenting suffering of my heart, my mind, my emotions, my physical body, I honestly thought I was going to die. Not necessarily from a place of depression, more so from the inability of my body to repair or heal. Every part of me felt broken and pathetic. And if listening today to this testimony has felt like too much, it was. It all felt like more that I could handle. I'm not sharing this with you today for sympathy, rather for credibility. How on earth could I come and talk to you today about suffering if I haven't suffered? If I'm not intimately acquainted with suffering, I have known grief, brokenness, and outright tragedy. And I testify today that I not only survived, but in that darkness I look to the Lord from where my help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth. And to this day, anyone who asks or I share that part of my life with, I always call it my Job-like experience because even what I went through pales in comparison to one day in the life of Job. 
And as I said at the beginning, we're not here to compare and contrast who suffered the most. But rather, if you haven't realized this, I want to share a truth with you today. Because I know in my my early 20s, maybe even dipping into my 30s a bit, I was kind of a negative person. Not in a Debbie Downer kind of way, but more of a, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I just always thought like something was waiting around the corner to smack me in the face. And I was always negative about my circumstances. And I really thought I was going through some terrible things. And looking back, some of it was hard. Most of it was me overreacting to life. And as I'm looking back in my mid-40s to the life I've lived, I'm seeing we are all born, we all live, and we all die. We suffer. We will lose people we love. There is sickness and death. There can be a lot of hurt. And coming to terms with our human experience, not being smacked in the face and surprised by it, has helped me. So I hope it helps you today in understanding whether we want to come to terms with it or not. Someday we will lose a parent. And that'll be hard. And if we're not coming to God, if we're not coming to the one who brings hope to the hopeless, how are we going to persevere? How will we get through this? How will we keep fighting the good fight? I want to rewind to when I was laying there. And if you've ever had a burning fever, (laughs) you probably can relate a bit to what I'm talking about. But I was not even coherent. But I knew my spirit was awake. And so I began to play the audio Bible of the book of Job for encouragement. (laughs) Because I know that if he had hope, I can have hope. I don't know anyone who has lost and suffered as much as Job, yet through it all, God had some amazing things to say about this blameless and upright man. We're going to read his story today in Job chapter 1. Now, would I start out reading through this? Because you know I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're not just going to grab a few scriptures here and there. We want the whole context. It may seem like I am going over a bunch of unimportant details, but as we're reading through, I want you to understand these are important because it's going to quantify what Job lost. So I don't want to skip it. So here we go. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So all of that list of things, if you could imagine it today in this world economy, this is like a fleet of 18-wheelers or several Amazon trucks Or, you know, a wool factory. This man had a lot of possessions. The end of verse 3 says, And Job was the greatest of all men of the East. So he was a man who was favored and had a claim. Verse 4 says, His sons used to go and hold a feast, 
in the house of each one on his day. And they would send an invite to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did, continually. So he was a man who was interceding for his children, whether they had sinned or not. Verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord, From roaming about on the earth and walking around it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered to the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord replied to Satan and said, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. In verse 13, we see the effects of that little powwow in heaven, which is a very interesting look into things that go on we are not privy to. Job receives four reports from different messengers. So imagine him, or even yourself, sitting there. And before you can even stomach what has just happened to you, what news has hit you, more bad reports come. Then more bad reports come and more bad reports come. This is what happened to Job. It says in verse 13, Now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked them and took them. They slew the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans have formed three bands made a raid on the camels and took them, and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Well, that servant was still speaking, and that's number three. This is the fourth report. Another came and said, this one really hurts. Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job arose. He tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord through all of this. Job did not sin, and he did not blame God. Wow. Report after report came. Job was 
experiencing unrelenting pain, unrelenting grief and loss. Yet he responds in the midst of all of that by saying, naked I came, naked I return. The Lord gives, he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So I ask, is this how you have responded in the midst of your pain? I can say, not always for me. And if we're being technical, Job's initial response seems to be that he tore his clothes and shaved his head. So there's that. He responded in a very physical response of emotional grief. And this isn't even the end. The narrative continues in Job chapter 2. I won't read it today, but Satan eventually attacks Job's physical body. I know when I'm suffering, it is a comfort not only to have the Lord, but to have friends at our side to encourage, to sharpen, to connect me back to life and truth. That's how things get even worse for Job. His wife promptly begins to chide him and just say, curse God and die. And Job gives a righteous response again. In Job chapter 2, verse 10, he says, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we not indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all of this Job did not sin with his lips. A friend of mine and I have been tackling through the book of Job, dissecting every piece of it, word for word, for what we can learn about suffering. And when all that awful news was delivered to Job, and his wife said what she did, that was terrible. That is never how we want to respond to someone we love. Many times we are looking for support and encouragement, and instead we're met with a mocker in our midst to tell us to curse God and die. This is not helpful. I'm not even going to get started today on his so-called friends who misapplied truth to Job's situation. They were downright cruel. And at this point, Job did not have anything except for the Lord working in his favor. But because Job knew God and cried out to him despite this adversity, he is a model of who we can look to in our time of despair. Suffering is painful. It isn't fun. And if you even sit and read through all of Job's grumbling, it's even hard to get through reading about how much he suffered. Yet we can empathize and sympathize with his words and relate to them because they're the cry of our own heart. Like Job, we might begin to cry out and ask, why, God, why? And even get angry. And in those times, God is not confused or surprised we're human. We find out not just here, but many accounts in the Bible where God allows us to express our humanity and our emotions. Even if we're believing lies, God is gentle and he's patient with his children. I'm not sure you've heard these stories from the Bible about Elijah and Jonah, and I just want to mention them briefly because I think their stories fit in here. They were upset for different reasons, but both of them 
were believing lies from the enemy. Elijah, after his mountaintop experience, when he was calling down fire from heaven and defeating these prophets of Baal, Jezebel gave him a scare and he ran off. And in 1 Kings 9.14, he was dealing with depression. He said and cried out, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And Jonah asked God in Jonah 4.3, Please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than live. All three of these men were believing lies at times. They were deceived from what is true. So today in your moment of suffering, and if it isn't today, I know you have suffered at some time. What lies did the enemy whisper to you? You're not good enough. You're a failure. You're alone. You're better off dead. I'm here to tell you today, do not let those lies fester. This is an attack from the enemy. He is here to steal, kill, and destroy. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 says, Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We have to take those thoughts captive, those lies that sneak in from maybe mockers, from friends, from people who don't know what they're talking about. We've all encountered them. And focus instead on what is true. How do you know what's true? We're in a world of, what's your truth? What's my truth? Truth is found in God's word. It's infallible. Job, in the midst of his groaning, found his way to truth. In Job 19.25, he cries out, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Whatever you're facing today, know your Redeemer lives. And as the song says, my Redeemer lives, therefore I can face tomorrow. And while this world is full of pain and suffering and things we can't always understand and can't control, certainly, it never means our God is not good or faithful or just or holy. Look to Job's example with whatever you're sorting through today. Whatever pain is surging through your heart and mind, whatever lies the enemy is trying to take your heart and mind captive with today, get out the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to defend against the enemy. And if you feel comfortable enough to share, I would be happy to pray for you. You can send a prayer request today to bountifulliving.net. I'd love to pray for you. Because I have known suffering. And not just the four months that I talked about today on the podcast, but thousands of other ways I've suffered because I've lived. And throughout each one, I can say, I know my Redeemer lives. Great 
is his faithfulness. This entire podcast came from a place of pain. Today, my emotions were such a wreck, and I had other things I needed to accomplish, but I had to push that aside, stop in my tracks, and realign my heart and mind with truth. Colossians 3 2 tells us to set our minds on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Jesus tells us in John 16 33, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I know you've heard that one probably from 1 John 4 4. And I never heard the first part of the verse, you know me, loving context. But it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome the world. Greater is he in you than he that is in this world. We triumph. We conquer. We overcome. We defeat the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Speak these truths today to your suffering. Speak truth to your pain. And it's okay if you don't do it perfectly. We certainly see people in the Bible who have been a hot mess. (laughs) Me too. Whatever you've got, bring it to God. None of this is too much for him to handle. He brings hope to the hopeless. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. His compassion fails not. Stop the spiral and bring your suffering to him. He can handle everything that we can't.